You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. update of where things stand with respect to the Log4j vulnerabilities and a reminder that there are other matters to attend to as well. RSAC postpones its annual security shindig to June, hoping to avoid the COVID. A German court awards a pain and suffering damage for a data breach. Carol Terrio looks at hiring challenges in cyber. Robert M. Lee from Dragos with insights from his own entrepreneurial journey. And a new startup seeks to take lemons and make them into lemonade. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. The Five Eyes, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and the United States have updated their guidance on mitigating the risk Log4j vulnerabilities pose. Their high-level advice has remained pretty stable. They recommend identifying assets affected by Log4Shell and other Log4j-related vulnerabilities, upgrading Log4j assets and affected products to the latest version as soon as patches are available, and remaining alert to vendor software updates, and initiating hunt and incident response procedures to detect possible log-for-shell exploitation. They offer details on how to do all three of those things. Today is the deadline for U.S. federal civilian agencies to mitigate log-for-j vulnerabilities in compliance with the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Emergency Directive 22-02. The first deadline falls at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today. We're not going to list the requirements verbatim here, but they include enumerating solution stacks, evaluating and updating software assets, mitigating risks, and when affected software is identified, assuming compromise. CISA encourages all organizations to take similar steps. This, as we mentioned, is the first deadline. The second one arrives at 5 p.m. next Wednesday, when the U.S. federal civilian agencies under CISA's supervision are to report on the affected applications they've found and to confirm, quote, that your agency's Internet-accessible IP addresses on file with CISA are up-to-date 
as required by CISA Binding Operational Directive 19-02. CISA has also published an open-source scanner designed to detect Log4j vulnerabilities. Quote, This tool is intended to help organizations identify potentially vulnerable web services affected by the Log4j vulnerabilities. End quote. The scanner was developed from a variety of other open-source tools developed in response to the discovery and disclosure of Log4j issues. It's available on GitHub. Engineers at online retailer Alibaba were the ones who discovered and disclosed Log4Shell, but Chinese authorities have taken issue with the way Alibaba disclosed it. The Ministry of Industry and Information Technology has suspended its data-sharing agreement with Alibaba Cloud to be lifted, Reuters reports, in six months if Alibaba mends its ways. The South China Morning Post explains that while disclosing vulnerabilities to vendors first has long been the normal industry practice, a new law encourages Chinese companies to share such discoveries first with the Chinese government, Reuters suggests that such encouragement is of a piece with Beijing's policy of bringing IT infrastructure under government control. The Wall Street Journal's brief account of why that courtesy we've come to call responsible disclosure has become an industry norm is clear. Quote, Cybersecurity experts say the general etiquette for researchers who find software flaws is to privately report the vulnerabilities to developers who can fix the issues. Making software flaws or updates public before such patches are in place can set off a race among hackers to take advantage of such issues. End quote. The Conti ransomware gang is actively exploiting Log4Shell. VentureBeat quotes Adv Intel to the effect that signs point to a useful diversification, useful from Conti's point of view, in the gang's arsenal. Tech Republic reminds its readers that Conti's style is the now-familiar double extortion attack, steal the data, render the data inaccessible to their owners, and threaten to both withhold decryption and release stolen files unless the victims pay up. With all the attention Log4j issues are rightly receiving, it's worth recalling that other vulnerabilities continue to undergo exploitation— Nation-state intelligence services remain active and persistent. IT World Canada cites Mandiant to the effect that Nobelium, famous over the past year for having hit the now-fixed issues in solar winds, has maintained its high op-tempo. APT29 has compromised multiple technology solutions, services, and reseller companies since 2020. Nobelium is also known as APT29, Cozy Bear, Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service, the SVR, according to MITRE's attack scorecard. Positive Security has reported discovering four vulnerabilities in Microsoft Teams. Quote, The vulnerabilities allow accessing internal Microsoft services, spoofing the link preview and, for Android users, leaking their IP address and dosing their team apps and channels. End quote. Leaping Computer says that Microsoft has considered the severity of the reported vulnerabilities and concluded that they don't represent an immediate risk that requires urgent remediation. They'll be addressed in due time. We note in disclosure that Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. Concerns over COVID have postponed the annual RSA conference until June, 
An email from the cybersecurity conference's organizers said, quote, In the interest of the health and safety of our community, RSA Conference has made the difficult decision to move RSAC 2022 from February 22 to June 6 through the 9th, 2022, end quote. By then, the organizers hope it will be possible to hold their customary in-person event in San Francisco. We hope so, too. It's nice to see you all there. It may be a first for Europe, J.D. Supra writes, and it's surely unusual. A German court has awarded a plaintiff damages in the amount of 2,500 euros for pain and suffering experienced as the result of a data breach. Finally, is America a great country or what? It's the land of second chances where you can put up a shingle and blammo, you're in business. Hey, we did it. So consider, if you will, the career of Mr. Peter Levishoff, who gives us an appropriate hallmark moment in which to close out our podcasting year. You may remember Mr. Levishoff as the self-proclaimed Spam King, a Russian hoodlum who was incautious enough to vacation in Spain, which has a good extradition treaty with the U.S. While there, Spanish authorities arrested him on a U.S. warrant and, after a hearing, extradited him stateside, where he copped a guilty plea to charges that included wire fraud and aggravated identity theft. In July, a U.S. federal judge sentenced him to time served plus three years supervised release, which is far short of the torment and death Mr. Levishoff told the Spanish magistrate he faced if he were to be turned over to the Americans. Anywho, Time Magazine reports that Mr. Levishoff, now living it up in New Haven, Connecticut, says he's seen the error of his ways, gone straight, and given up hacking. He's working on a new venture, a startup he calls Sievero DAO, a fintech outfit working on an automated approach to stock picking. He said, quote, The U.S. government gave me lemons. I'm selling the lemonade. He looks happy in the photograph, as he should be, since we hear New Haven is nicer than, say, Chelyabinsk. And good luck to him in his new life. May he be happy and not defraud anyone. We won't be customers, but we'll lift a glass of lemonade to him. And speaking of celebration, this episode closes out our regular 2021 podcasting season. We'll have plenty of extras for you next week to amuse and inform, so don't be a stranger and we'll be back to our usual schedule on January 3rd. As tomorrow is Christmas Eve, we end with holiday wishes to all of you. May Santa Claus or Died Moros be good to you, and may your year end with happiness, health, and prosperity that carries forward into 2022. And now, feds, get patching. If you're not done by 5 o'clock, Director Easterly will have you on the naughty list. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, 
Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The hiring situation in cybersecurity remains complicated. On the one hand, you've got organizations desperate to hire qualified candidates. On the other hand, you've got qualified candidates lamenting the fact that so many job listings include unrealistic requirements for entry-level jobs. So why all the confusion? Our UK correspondent Carol Terrio has this report. Being employed in cybersecurity can be exciting, engaging, lucrative, and yet there's a global shortage of expertise. Around the world, we are hearing the call for cybersecurity king and queen pins to make themselves known. Now, it's not down to a lack of interest, and there have been strong drives to get the next generations to think of cybersecurity as a viable career opportunity. In fact, the number of graduates in cyber is apparently set to double in the next two years in the EU alone. But ENISA, the EU's transnational cybersecurity agency, has raised a flag and said that despite a doubling of the number of graduates in the next two years, the problem will not be resolved. Meanwhile, over the pond in the U.S., the Department of Homeland Security has just launched its cybersecurity talent management system, CTMS, and its job is to help recruit, develop and retain cybersecurity pros. Microsoft also announced a campaign to bring 250,000 more people into the U.S. cybersecurity industry by 2025 by offering colleges and students alike the support they need to enter the field. So what is the problem? Why is there a shortage of cybersecurity good folk out there? According to PCMag, one-third of America's cybersecurity-related jobs remain unfilled due to lack of qualified applicants, even though some of those positions offer six-figure salaries. So lack of training seems to be an issue even for the top-level jobs. And here's my two-pence view here. Organizations, especially those entrenched in the digital world, are ever more reliant on algorithms to help with the recruiting process. That means a human might only see the shortlist that meet every single criteria. And in entry-level positions, jobs often require several years of work experience, proficiency in multiple programming languages, and prior involvement in online security communities. I mean, how is a typical new graduate supposed to have all these qualifications? Not everyone can do a degree, get advanced certifications, work experience, and provide three references of past work. 
Or if you're looking at a more senior role, the same problem can happen. You might not have all the exact qualification listed in the job description, and the algorithm dumped you. Now, if you're looking to work alongside a gaggle of other cybersecurity folks, maybe in a cybersecurity company that builds tools to protect others, training opportunities might exist in-house. Plus, there are oodles of people on hand to help the recruiter write a sensible job description. What if you're looking to be hired in a company outside the cyber world? The HR team won't necessarily know what you need to know in order to do the job. So they may get an external affiliate. And that external affiliate might pile on a lot of different requirements in a CMA sort of way. My rather long-winded point here is that the job description and the AI used to sort the wheat from the chaff in terms of candidates might actually be compounding the problem. To those of you out there looking for people with cybersecurity chops, review your job descriptions, people. Remember that good, smart people who are engaged and excited to learn may be exactly the kind of people that you want looking after your cybersecurity. So they may not have all the nous right now, but once trained, they'll be unstoppable. And so will you. This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Robert M. Lee. He is the CEO at Dragos. Uh, Rob, it's always great to have you back. You all recently completed your D round of funding. And uh, I have to say, I remember, uh, I think I first crossed paths with you back when uh, it was just a handful of you and your colleagues uh, in the Data Tribe incubator. Uh, oh, how far you've come. Congratulations on on all of your success. But Rob, I, thought, I thought you would have screwed it up by now. Thanks, <laughs> I mean, of all people, yeah, really, of all people, I, I really would have thought it would have been someone else. But uh, congratulations on all of your success. But I, I was hoping we could get some insights from you. Um, one of the things I appreciate our conversations is uh, what a straight shooter you are. So a D-round what what does that mean in terms of of where a company like yours stands and and what you hope to do by bringing on the funding that is you know there's two sides to that right so from what it normally means for a company in general is you know as you well know and and on your own journey right the seed to a is hey we've got a good idea we think there's a market there we want to put something towards it the the b maybe even the c round is hey, we've got product market fit. Um, let's start building out the sales teams. Let's go after this. I, I, think it's, I think it's happening. 
by the time that you get to a D and you haven't been taken out or acquired yet or something like that, which I still also think a lot of people have misconceptions on. I, I get that question all the time. Why, why isn't Dragos good and acquired? Because because we don't want to be. You know, like it hmm. turns out you get to say. Um, but anyways, but uh, by the time you get to a D round, that is a signal. It's a this is a huge market. This is a huge opportunity. We've got great traction. We can pour the proverbial fuel on the fire. I think people hear like an A round, like, oh, we're pouring fuel on the fire. Like, what fuel? What fire? Like, no, you got got a lot of work to do ahead of you. But the, the D round is okay, we're we're there. And I think that this is a large enough market to go and do something like an initial public offering or an IPO. And for us, we were very fortunate to not only have uh, Coke Industries, who was in our C round, um, has been phenomenal partners um, for us, but also have BlackRock come in and lead. And when you look at the what that means and what it means to me, you know, there's been so many companies out there that have downplayed OT, this operation technology or industrial control systems discussion. Every single turn of the corner for the last decade have been told by people how it's irrelevant or it's going away or, oh, there's this ITOT convergence thing as some crappy excuse on not to do it. You know, there, there's always some reason, oh, you can't make it happen. Oh, the asset owners and operators don't care enough to move, blah, 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 blah. And I think we've been able to show that's not true, but when BlackRock comes in, you know, they're the largest investor in the world, over $9 trillion under management. When they come in, it's a statement. It's a, this is a huge market opportunity. And yeah, this whole OT thing is something that's not only worth doing, but it's the right thing to do and it's valuable. And so anyways, I, I was very excited about what that says for the entirety of the market, not just the Dragos's of the world. Uh, and, and I think we're very fortunate to have those type of players around the table so that on our journey, we've got the stability and, and you know ability to go where we want to go, which to me is being as independent and, and sticking around as long-term as possible. Like there's no, there's no scenario where I don't want to be protecting people and you know, safeguarding civilization. So yeah, that's... that's uh, what it meant for us, and yeah, the the resources are all about doing more of the same, building out the teams, doing more internationally. We had our office open in Melbourne. We've got our office opening in Dubai and Riyadh. You know, it's just uh, the one in UK. It's just about hitting the global community. What about the obligations that come with taking on that kind of investment? How does that affect the the day to day running of the company? Yeah, so nothing management-wise changes. And this is another thing that's like hard for people to understand outside these companies. I always get questions like, when do you lose control? Or like, like, mm-hmm. like there is control to be had for the first, you know, first question. Like that that <laughs> assumes there's some control on this. Um but but what we've always been is uh governed by our board, myself included where we think thoughtfully together about the path we want to go down and, and we get consensus in doing that. And so that none of that changes. Like even the D round didn't add a new board member. We've been doing really well. And so if you start a company and you you have a lot of promises but not a lot of delivery, you're gonna make some some concessions in those term sheets and the terms you sign. If you're a company that's doing really well and your customers have your back, you don't have to make a lot of concessions. And so for us, we've always been very fortunate to have a clean path ahead of us and 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 nothing management wise changes the the obligation changes though a little bit when you're taking a 200 million dollar loan because that's how i view it when you're taking a 200 million dollar loan you're telling that person hey the market is so big we're so capable we're so dedicated that we can return 3 to 10x on your loan for you and it still be a good investment for the company to go and scale so it's 
there, there's a it's I want to say it's no different, but it really is. Like it, it's just an increase in the obligation to you, your employees, your customers, making sure that you, you got to be in it for the long haul. Like, and a lot of companies start out with a good vision and, and belief. When you get into year five, six, seven years of that journey, it can be taxing, and and uh, you've you've got to be fully dedicated when you're kind of doing those kind of those numbers and those goals and recruiting a bunch of people onto your staff. You know, we've got like 400 people now on the team. It's it's you know it's it's just a commitment. Do you ever find that you have to sort of pinch yourself and and take stock when you you know had this this uh, seed of an idea way back when and and here you are with uh, you know all this this success this scale? It, it seems like you're onto something, right? Maybe <laughs> no, I. I don't know. I I am very fortunate that we've been able to recruit the people we have, and so I think there's probably too much credence given, if that's the right word, too much credibility given to founders of tech companies. Oh, look at the founder! Oh my gosh! Right, you know, it's like, right. eh, you know, obviously I'm biased. I obviously believed in this thing, or wouldn't have started it. I'm probably the one that can't see. The best, you know, my my bias tells me that of course this needs done. So for me to be able to recruit the type of quality of people that we have that come in and go, no, no, I see it too, and I'm not as biased, but I but I see this needs to get done, and this is important, and I believe in this. To me, that's the humbling factor. To me, that's the pinch yourself, like wow, look at the people we've been able to recruit, and look at the customers that have come along with us on that journey. I, I think the the Series D and the money raised is more of the validation after the fact, and and less the the exciting piece of it with no offense of course to the investors well interesting insights as always Rob thanks so much for joining us and that's the Cyberwire for links to all of today's stories check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next year. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.